everyone. Welcome back to the All Things Gymnastics Podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Brittany. And this is the podcast where we talk about All Things Gymnastics. And this week, we talk a lot about NCAA overscoring, what's new, and we also talk about the addition of the first ever HBCU gymnastics program at Fisk University, which we're super, super excited about. So stay tuned. But we real quickly want to thank our Gold Level Patreon supporters. So a big thank you to Kathleen R, Amy M, Lucy S, Kevin K, Maya A, Becca S, Nina L, DFP, Blake B, Elaine E, Rydog, Cookie Master, Faith M, Kristen R, Lori S, Sabrina M, Amy C, Erica S, Milan W, and M. Thank you all for continuing to support our show each month at the highest tier level. Because the month of February is Black History Month, we are actually going to be donating all the money that we earn from our Patreon supporters this month to the organization Brown Girls Do Gymnastics. It's an incredible organization that helps advocate for inclusivity and diversity in the sport of gymnastics, and Brown Girls Do Gymnastics was actually on the task force that helped launch the program at Fisk University. So it's a great organization to get behind, and we can't wait to donate at the end of the month. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon supporter, we'll have a link down below in the show notes to where you can join. You can learn more about the perks of each tier level and, of course, be a part of this month's donation. Thanks so much, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello, guys. It has been a couple weeks, actually, since we've recorded, and I feel like a lot has happened in the past couple of weeks. We had good intentions. We were trying to record a podcast last week, and then our microphone... It didn't break. It just wasn't working for some reason. Yeah, like literally in that day, in that exact moment, it was refusing to work. But now it's fine. And then we were going to restart the whole computer and then the mouse for the computer stopped working. It, the battery died. So we, we gave it up. Yeah, we're like, <laughs> it just wasn't meant to be this week. But we're back. We have lots of stuff that we want to talk about this week for week six of college gymnastics. Gosh, how is it already week six? Right? We're, we're halfway already... through the regular season. I know. But that means we're just a little bit closer to the postseason, which is what I'm truly here for. I think it's what we're all here for. Like, we live for postseason and yes. all of the drama that's going to go yes. down. Conference championships, the drama of regionals and who's going to make it to nationals. And then, of course, nationals and who's going to make it to the Final Four. Who's going to win? Who's going to win the all-around title? I mean, there's just there's I, so much excitement this year. I'm so pumped. I get chills every time I think about it. We're going to nationals, if you guys didn't know. I don't know if we've said that on here yet, but we're going. And yeah, we got a really good, like, Black Friday deal on NCAA tickets. Like, yeah. no, I'm not joking. Like, we actually got them on Black Friday. And they were really, really cheap for, like, pretty much front row seats. And I think we were row four, but yeah. we're, like, right by four. Really good seats. So we're, like, super pumped about that. It doesn't get much better than that. After missing out last year, we told ourselves there's no way we're missing out again. So Absolutely we got to be there. Especially with how good Michigan is doing. I'm like, I just, I have to be there. <laughs> Anyways, I wanted to start by talking about... Perhaps what is the biggest piece of news in the college gymnastics world from this past week, and that is Fisk University starting the first ever HBCU college gymnastics team. So this is huge. Obviously, this is something that a lot of gymnastics fans have been wanting to see happen for a very long time. But big, big shout out to the organization Brown Girls Do Gymnastics, because I feel like they definitely played a huge role in making this happen. They're an organization, if you don't know, that advocates for more diversity and inclusion within the sport of gymnastics. They've helped raise money. They have clinics that they put on. They do trainings. Their advocacy online. So I definitely think they played such a huge role in 
making this happen. And honestly, this is something that's really been long overdue, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, how great is it for black athletes now to have an opportunity to do college gymnastics at an HBCU, which, by the way... If you don't know what HBCU is, it's historically black college and universities. I know that's a term that some people aren't super familiar with, but yes, I've you're seen, going to be now. <laughs> yes, I've seen on social media a lot of people commenting on the Fisk University post and not knowing what an HBCU is, which is totally fine. But now I think a lot of people in the gymnastics world particularly are going to know much more about them because we finally have a college gymnastics program. That is such big news and so great for, like I started to say, black athletes to have the option to go to an HBCU if they Mm -hmm. want, because I think a lot of gymnasts actually would prefer that. Yeah. I feel like historically some of the best, not only college gymnasts of all time, but you could just, you could extend that to elite gymnastics as well and say some of the greatest female gymnasts of all time have been black athletes. Oh, for sure. They've dominated the sport for many, many, many years. And like I said, we see that on both the elite and the college side of things. So I think this is something that will be a good change of pace from what we typically see in college gymnastics. Yes, because when you look at college gymnastics teams right now, Let's be real. A lot of them are comprised of white gymnasts. You know, some teams do have more diversity than others, but there are programs out there that have basically all white gymnasts on their team. Not a lot of representation for any minority groups. And I think this is just a good opportunity to give black gymnasts a program that respect them, appreciate them, and really celebrate them for being black. And that's something that is hard to get on a team of mostly white girls, let's be real. And white coaching staff as well. Yes. And that's, you know, been an issue for a long time. We were talking about this a couple days ago. Just looking at coaching in the NCAA, how many of them are white. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of representation. It's it's on every side. It's the coaching. It's the lack of diversity on the actual team itself. You can even go as far as saying, like, the athletic departments and people mm-hmm. in the positions of powers, so to speak, at a lot of these universities. Yeah. I just think it's great that there's that option now, at least. I mean, when we had Tia Kiaku on our show, and we all know what happened with her at Alabama, and she kind of expressed in our interview with her that she wasn't really wanting to give up the sport, but she kind of had to because... There was nowhere else for her to go, especially with... Well, so anywhere that she was going to be accepted, she felt. Especially with everything that happened at Alabama and the way that she was being portrayed on that end. Right. You know, after she spoke out and everything like that. So I know Tia ended up going to an HBCU, but... Of course, there's no, up until now, HBCUs with gymnastics programs. And, you know, if that would have been an option for Tia back then, that would have been so incredible and would have given her the opportunity to continue her gymnastics career as she should have been able to. Yeah, in a place that's safe, that's accepting, that's going to celebrate her and just not be downright racist. So I just think that, you know, going forward, this is going to be great, not only to give athletes an opportunity to transfer to the HBCU, but to just have it as an option when they're a young athlete that's looking into colleges and going through the recruiting process. Yes. I'm so, so excited for this. And... Tia Kiaku has been doing the graphics for Fisk University. I love that. You know, I saw on Instagram that she was doing some graphics, like, of herself. And yeah. I was like, this is cool. Like, yeah. I like what she's doing. And then, what I actually, did we know? <laughs> I actually just shared one this morning. It's actually a picture of her. You can't really tell because of the way the graphic is designed. It's one of those ones where, like, you can't see the face of the person. Yeah, it's, it's, a, just, it's, it's a silhouette. silhouette. Um, except it's colorful, which I love. And it says, well-behaved woman, seldom make history. And then it says Tia Kiyaku on it. And I'm like, oh, 
Love Queen. it. Love it. So yeah, that's super exciting. I guess I should also probably give some information on how this team is actually going to like work and I guess how it's going to operate in comparison to like other college gymnastics teams that are already existing, like yeah. Division One schools and stuff like that. So well, these are the questions that everyone has when a new program launches. So. Right. It's like, how, how does this work? Right. <laughs> so we have some answers. First of all, Fisk University is in Tennessee. Don't know if you know that, but Tennessee does not have a gymnastics program. So that's super exciting in and of itself. I love the state of Tennessee personally, and this is going to give me a reason to go back to Tennessee now. We're breaking all kinds of ground here. We are. They're also going to be competing as an NAIA school. So they'll compete at like the USAG Nationals, not the NCAA National Championship. So that's kind of a big difference from some of the other programs that we've seen in recent years, like LIU, for example. Yeah. Their first season will be the 2022-2023 season. So next year. So be on the lookout for some recruits. The yes. first class. And they're hoping to have the head coach assigned sometime in like May after JO National Championships. As far as I know, at this point in time, we don't know what conference they're going to be in yet. I've heard some people speculate that it'll be the MIT conference or the MIC conference, which is a conference that's comprised of teams that aren't in one of the other like big sports conferences like the SEC the Pac-12, the Big Ten, you know, all of that. Yeah, it's a gymnastics-specific or gymnastics-created conference. Yes, Eagle is another one of those. So we'll keep our eyes on that and try and get more clarity on what conference they're expected to join. But I've just heard rumblings of the MIT conference. Yeah. So there's a lot of answers that we still need. But, of course, this is a very, very new announcement. I'm just excited about the announcement. And as, you know, the months go on, we're going to figure out who the coach is what conference and we're going to start to see which gymnasts are going to be a part of the inaugural team which is going to be really fun i'm so excited and like we said in the intro this month all of our patreon supporter money is going to be donated to brown girls do gymnastics because it is black history month the yes. month of february it is black history month and also we just love what that organization is doing obviously they were a key part of launching this gymnastics program at fisk university and that's something that we want to get behind so this month for black history month all of our Patreon money is going to be donated to Brown Girls Do Gymnastics to help them continue with their advocacy work, help them raise more money, and hopefully we'll get some more HBCU gymnastics programs in the future. Moving on to other things that have happened in the past, I guess we'll talk about the last two weeks because week five a lot also went down and we didn't really mention that on the podcast. Um, this is kind of, we're, we're doing a drastic shift here, so we had a really positive thing, now we're going... <laughs> To negative things. That's how we roll here. <laughs> Unfortunately, and I just feel like with gymnastics, it, that's how it is. It's so up and down. Like, one second, life is great, and the next second, everything is just crashing down. There's been a lot of injuries this year, and particularly in the last couple of weeks, Achilles are rupturing at alarming rates. We've mentioned this on the show before, but we have Ali Lazari and Hallie Taylor from Florida from a few weeks back, Lindsey Brown. I don't remember if I we don't know her. if it's been confirmed that it was her Achilles but I think we all kind of know it was her Achilles it was confirmed was it not on her Instagram no her Instagram was pretty vague she just said she was like, here's to the unknown 
and we haven't seen her since. Okay, so maybe I'm assuming. I think we're all assuming that it was in the Kelly's. Are we not? Well, like, she's I think had the general a, she's consensus. had a Kelly's injuries before, and also at this rate, I think a lot of you know experienced gymnastics fans who have watched a lot of college gymnastics meets and therefore have watched a lot of Achilles being torn. You recognize it like on the spot. Yeah, you you know what it looks like, and it, that's what it looked like to me at least. So I don't know if it's p- fair to put her on that list yet. But either way, uh, serious injury. Uh, Rachel Lucas from Georgia. She's someone who has already come back from the Achilles injury. She was actually having a phenomenal meet going a few weeks ago. She was back on vault doing a one and a half. She nailed it. Her Flora team was looking great. And then last pass, Achilles gave out. And she knew it instantly. Like she, she pounded the floor and you could tell that she was like, yeah. crap. Like there was my Achilles again. Yeah. It was so, so sad to watch. Carly Bowman from Michigan at the very beginning of the season. Yeah. That one happened like two feet away from us. Yeah. I literally watched it happen. I was like, oh no. Like, ugh. And she was shaping up to have such a great season. So ugh, it hurts to know that like with how great Michigan is doing and how the, great she was looking. They in could have also had her in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. And then most recent was Jillian Hoffman from Utah over the past weekend. She's also somebody that struggled with a lot of injuries. Finally came back. I, she had that iconic 9975 in the leadoff spot a few weeks ago. Was back in the vault lineup. Really was looking so, so strong and was so, so happy to have her back out there and then went down in floor warm-ups. The other injury that happened over the past week was Makari Doggett. And luckily, we do have confirmation that hers wasn't an Achilles Dana Duckworth confirmed that after the meet, they didn't quite know exactly at that point in time what the injury was or the severity of it, but they do know that it's not an Achilles, which is good because I think we were all worried about that watching it. It, it definitely looked like yeah. it could be potentially an Achilles. So. Well, and a lot of the times when a gymnast doesn't walk, walk away from their routine and they have to be carried out, that's usually not a good sign. And you but... can also tell from where they're grabbing, mm-hmm. like when they're grabbing their Achilles um, or in that vicinity, definitely started to get a little bit concerned. So, yeah, it's kind of a negative, I guess, update to give to you all. But it is unfortunately just the reality of what's going on right now in college gymnastics. We're seeing, you know, it's the, it's the midpoint of the season, like we already mentioned. I think a lot of people are tired. A lot of teams don't have the depth to rest people when needed, which can also lead to overuse injuries. And this is something that we unfortunately see every year. But I do feel like it seems to be happening, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to be happening more at an alarming rate this season than I feel like in years past. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really quite sure why. That would be an interesting study to do. Yeah, I don't necessarily have any like theories on it, but I am concerned about it. I'm concerned for everybody's safety. I just want everybody to be healthy and happy and get through the season and be able to have the season that they deserve to have after working so hard in preseason. And for some of these people, like, this is their senior year, and this will likely be the end of their gymnastics career. So it's just a really sad way to go out. We hate to see it. And we're just sending our best wishes to all of these gymnasts and hoping for a very speedy and easy recovery. The next thing that we wanted to discuss this week is scoring, (laughs) which is always fun to talk about. Lots and lots of big scores, <laughs> scores that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, and I mean that in regards to a lot of the top teams. There was so many tens last week in particular. I, I want to say there was 11 
there's been a lot of tens this season in general. I was looking, I saw someone had posted, it came from the SEC network, one of the broadcasts. There was a graphic that showed how many tens there were this season compared to past seasons. And I, of course, now I can't find it. And I should have screenshot it. I should have screenshot it. I like, was like going back and forth in my head of like if I wanted to screenshot it. Because I have so many like random useless screenshots in my phone. <laughs> I do that all the time. And I didn't want to necessarily like screenshot it unless I felt like I needed it for something. So I decided I opted not to do it. And then here I am wishing I would have having regrets. Either way, you guys may have seen it because it was going around. and It's a record-breaking amount of tens. Yeah, I guess you. it shows the trend over the years of how... It, a 10 used to be really kind of rare and something that happened just here or there. And it was really exciting when it happened. And now it's just thrown out like candy. Yes. That's the point of the graphic. And it definitely shows just how many 10s are being thrown around these days. Like it's no big deal. It's yeah. it's losing its value. It's losing its specialness. Oh, for sure. And we can get into some of those 10s here in a minute. I guess I do want to mention one of the exciting aspects of it was we got to see all four U.S. Olympians get their first perfect 10 of their college career in the same weekend so I'm like you gotta at least be happy about that and most of them were on bars Jordan Childs got hers on floor and then Suni, Jade, and Grace all got theirs on bars and then Jordan got a 10 on bars this week when UCLA was at Stanford so they're already cranking out those 10s I was surprised. I really thought that Jade was going to be the first. And in actuality, she ended up being the last of the four to get. If I would have predicted, I think I thought it would have been Suni on bars first, Jade on floor. Jade on floor could have been first or second. I saw those two happening pretty quickly. And then I think I would have thought that Jordan probably also would have been floor. So that was right. And then Grace... I guess I didn't really know where I saw her getting a 10 first. I just knew it was going to happen at some point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't mad about her bar routine. I mean, of course, she has flex feet on her dismount. She always has and probably always will. But, I mean, her routine itself is very clean. Yeah, there was no obvious errors in it. So I was fine with that. And like I said, you know, we can sit here and roll our eyes at a lot of the 10s that we've seen in the last several weeks, really this whole season, really. You can sit there and kind of roll your eyes at it and think, yeah, like I can find deductions in that. But then there's also times where we just, we have no choice but to just accept it and look for the positive in things. And I think a positive was that we had all of our U.S. Olympians getting their first perfect 10 in the same weekend. That was pretty cool to see. And also, I want to give a shout out to Jade Carey. That girl is <laughs> absolutely killing it. I'm like trying to think of an adjective and I don't even know what to say to describe her. She's just so good. As it stands right now in Oregon State, okay, so we're recording this Sunday morning. So Michigan hasn't gone for this week technically, and Oregon State also hasn't. Yes, so this totally could change within a matter of a couple hours. I'm hoping not, but Jade is on a roll. She has a streak going where she hasn't lost a single all-around or event title. Like, who does that? She also hasn't gone below 9-9. I don't want to jinx her, so knock on wood. But, I mean, that's just so cool. And, like, I forgot, I think it might have been week two. I don't remember, but she was really close to breaking the program record. Yeah. Or maybe she did break it in the all she, I think she did think break she did. it. She had a love. But, I mean, point is, she's killing it. So, like, shout out to her. Also, the fact that she got a 10 on bars and that was her first 10. <laughs> I know. She literally told everybody that has called her not an all-arounder that has made fun of her bars. She literally just said, shut up. Right. Exactly the kind of statement that I would expect from Jade Carey. <laughs> 
Hey guys, so this is Brittany and editing on Monday evening. I am going through the podcast, listen to this part here where we talk about Jade Carey and Ashley's not with me right now, but I did want to just make this quick edit to put some updates in. Ashley, you did jinx Jade Carey because she broke her 99 plus streak. Unfortunately on Beam, she got a 9875, so super, super close. She did have a wobble on her front aerial. So other than that, it was a good routine. Judges gave it a 9875, so unfortunately that streak ended. And also her win streak ended. She got a 99 on vault. It was a good vault. She had a pretty decent sized hot back. And Geneva Thompson from Washington, she only does Yurchenko full, but it's a huge Yurchenko full. Perfectly done as far as I could see and got a score of 995, which is perfect for Yurchenko full. So the judges agreed as well, and it was enough to beat Jade Carey on that event. So unfortunately, those two streaks were lost, but she still had a phenomenal day overall. And surprise, surprise, another perfect time was clocked in. This time it was on floor for Jade. And it was, I would say, the best floor routine I've seen her do in college so far. It was absolutely a 10 in my book. And I'm really glad to finally see that she's been rewarded on this event for her difficulty, for how consistent her tumbling is, how controlled her landings are. It was a great routine. And of course, is the second perfect 10 of her career. The first of many, many that I'm sure she will get on floor in the future. So one of the meets that happened last weekend that I'm sure a lot of people want us to talk about or would be expecting us to talk about is the Rutgers versus Michigan and Alaska meet that was held at Rutgers. And for Michigan, it was a... Historic, did we say? Yeah. Oh, not... Historic to say the least. Yes, absolutely historic competition because they posted not only a new program record, but the sixth highest score in NCAA history and the highest score any NCAA team has posted since 2004 with a 198 525 a huge score i don't think i was necessarily expecting that to happen on the road no and to think about the fact that no team has scored that high since 2004 it really puts into perspective not only how strong this michigan team is but just how hard it is to actually score that high which sounds funny in this day and age with (laughs) how crazy scoring can be and everyone just getting tens left and right yeah. You would think that we would have got to this point in scoring sooner. Yeah, a couple years ago even. I think Oklahoma, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure Oklahoma was pretty close to that a couple years ago. They posted a, you know, a close to a mid-198 score. Yeah. But it doesn't happen very often, surprisingly. Well, and yeah, and I think that era of, you know, the early 2000s, 2004, 2003, that was a really historic time in college gymnastics. I think a lot of the program records that you see are individual records, NCAA as a whole records. If you really go back and look, a lot of them were set in the early 2000s. The early 2000s were a wild time for college gymnastics. Yeah, and there was a big influx in Olympians coming to college during that time as well. Yeah, and if you would have told me that the first program to you know score a mid-198 score would be Michigan of all the teams out there... I probably would have laughed in your place. You probably would have laughed in mine. We would have been laughing together. <laughs> I mean, Michigan, you had to remember, it wasn't until last season that they actually scored a 198 for the first time ever in their 40 plus years of existence as a team. Like, it just never happened for them. This is something that is still very 
I guess you could say at this point in time, out of the norm for Michigan historically. Yeah, I mean, as a team and even just for fans, you know, we're still kind of getting used to Michigan being the number one team and being the kind of team that you can expect to go up and go 198 every single time. And, you know, I didn't know with this being a road meet and also with them resting gymnasts. I mean, they've been doing that now for the last couple of weeks where they're giving their some of their quote-unquote star athletes a break and either sending them out on a couple of events or sending them out in the all-around. And that's probably a wise move given that Michigan has 13 gymnasts on their roster, five of which are all-arounders. And that's a really small roster size compared to other top teams. Yeah. They don't necessarily have endless amounts of people that can step in at any event, but they do have depth. And I think that's been kind of one of the misconceptions that we've been really trying to clear up about Michigan in regards to just people online talking just this idea that Michigan doesn't have depth and it's like no they they do have depth it's it may not be as many as other teams but as we're seeing Michigan is going up for several weeks in a row now getting really 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 high scores 198 scores high 197 scores historic scores yes while resting some of those key athletes yeah and using their depth athletes so this meet to me was the biggest indicator of just how strong this team is and their ability to rest people and put in some athletes that you don't normally see in the lineups and you know still do as well as they did i do want to give a shout out real quick to natalie Wojcik. she has been for her entire career really building up to be what i would say is one of the best gymnast at Michigan of all time Mm -hmm. and she finally got a score that will put her in that position in the record book she tied the Michigan all-around program record with a 39.825 joining some of the absolute greats like Olympian Elise Ray Sarah Kane Beth Weimer I mean if you're a Michigan gymnastics fan you may recognize some of those names as being the greatest and the ones that are at the top of the record book so Natalie Wojcik is continuing to solidify herself as One of those athletes as well. And something that was really impressive about Natalie and that me as well as the team is that, you know, it wasn't necessarily the team's best performance, but Natalie in that first rotation, her grip broke after she did her Delchev. And obviously she not only fell, but she had to basically get up and do the routine over again. And she was allowed to do that because it was a safety concern. So she went and got a new pair of grips from her bag. And then Which is why it's important that you always bring extra grips. Yes, always (laughs) pack extra grips. Lesson learned there. And Nicoletta Kulos went up and did an exhibition routine. And then Natalie went after the exhibition routine and did her routine again and got a 9925. So she was completely unshaken by what had happened. And then obviously went on to just have this record day. And so well deserved. She's definitely somebody who, you know, I think since her freshman year, I was already thinking like she's going to go down in history as one of the greatest. Mm -hmm. And she's proven that year after year. But Kind of just thinking about this meet as a whole, you know, we mentioned already that it wasn't Michigan's best meet, which is pretty wild to think about given the score. Right. <laughs> it's like one of the highest scores in NCAA history. And we're like, it wasn't their best meet. I mean, it wasn't. Naomi Morrison fell on bars. Sierra Brooks fell on vaults. And she wasn't doing bars. She didn't do floor. So therefore, the only routine that she really contributed was on beam. And then Abby High School also fell on floor. So you have like your key people either not competing or making mistakes. And then obviously Natalie fell too, but it didn't count. So, (laughs) But still, I mean, it, it didn't look like when you were watching it necessarily at some points, it didn't look like it was this 
the best meat ever, you know? It didn't necessarily look like that in some ways, but I think what is important is how they responded to the falls. I mean, we all know, obviously, in gymnastics, you can drop the lowest score, so it's important for everyone that comes after the fall to just stay in the zone and stay focused and do their job, and and they did that. And that is what I think is really going to be important, especially when we head into the postseason, to have people that are confident and know that they can go up and hit after a fall. And people like J.C. Vore, who are relatively new to the lineup, she stepped in on bars and has done beautiful. I mean, she her very first routine ever, she went 9-9, and that came after Natalie Wojcik stepped out at the very last minute. She, she was, was inconsistent. In yeah, she was having some issues with her release move, and they threw J.C. in last minute, and she went in the anchor spot and nailed it and went 9-9. And then at this meet at Rutgers, she posted a career high, 9-9-2-5, and you know, shared the title with Natalie on bars. So really going out there and proving right off the bat that she deserves a spot in some of these lineups. Yeah, and that you can count on her. So I think that was a really important takeaway from this meet, as well as just the fact that Michigan can use some of their depth athletes. You know, they can use JC4, they can use Raina Cagino, they can use Jenna Mulligan even. And Nicoletta Kulos, we haven't really seen. She's coming back slowly from an injury as well. And his exhibition, she's there and she's getting ready to compete. But, um, you know, they can use some of these other athletes and still do really really well and I think that it was for me the most exciting thing um that was the most exciting thing for you really <laughs> that's a lie that's that actually lie. that is actually like straight up a lie. I literally just lied to you guys <laughs> it was not the most exciting thing about that meet. Uh, okay let's just say the important thing yeah the, the important message from this meet the takeaway was that yes. um the most exciting thing was We'll start on floor, because I guess that's really where the energy kind of got going, was Gabby Wilson in the anchor position getting the first perfect 10 of her career with a phenomenal routine. She is somebody that undeniably deserved a 10 on that event. There was so many weeks. Actually, in fact, every single week this season, she has gone 995 with her floor routine. She has not gone below a 995. That tells you just how good Gabby Wilson is on that event. And that's what's funny about her 10 is like, did it look any different than any routine she's done this season? No. No. <laughs> they just finally rewarded her for This it. one was the one that went 10, but it was really the same exact routine she's been doing. Tumbling sky high, landing super controlled. Dance her- is fun. Ja- dance is fun. Love the choreography that Myliana did. There's a whole story to it, which if we get the opportunity to commentate again in front of Michigan Me, we'd like to get it out. We'd like to share the story of that floor routine and kind of the character and theme behind it. But yeah, um, it's just a great routine. And also I want to point out the amplitude, the complete 180 that she's hitting on her jumps. The complete above 180. Yes. <laughs> it's like... Chef's kiss. Like, unmatched. It's so good. So she finally got her 10, and we were super ecstatic about that. And one of my favorite things, and I believe I t- tweeted this on our Triple Twist account, um, one of my favorite things about Michigan is when they get an energy going, it's contagious and it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and truly, I, I mean that, and I think that they proved that with this meet. Um, and there's been other meets in the past where they've proven it as well, like AKA Nationals. When this team gets going... They are unstoppable. And I think that there was some energy that was building. Gabby Wilson finally got her 10. The team is like, hell yeah. They go to Vol. And I actually talked to head coach Bev Plocky, and she told me that she was like totally joking with the team. She was like, how many balls do we want to stick? And they were like, all of them. We want to stick all of them. And she's like, you know, I'm joking, right? Like, you need to focus on the technique, focus on the block. Focusing on those things will allow you to get the landing that you want. It doesn't even have to be a stick, but just a good landing. She was totally joking about the stick, but 
The team was not joking about no, the stick. No, they definitely weren't. They were not joking when they said they wanted to stick all their vaults because that's basically what they did. Yeah. It was the most incredible thing I think I've ever seen in my life. Oh my gosh. We were screaming our heads off. It was the most exhilarating thing. I couldn't even believe it. I yeah. could not believe it. I, I wish we just had a camera recording us when we watch Michigan. <laughs> because when we're in the arena, we tend to like calm down a little bit. Like I think if I'm actually at a Michigan meet, I tend to be a little bit more aware of the fact that like people are like next to me and like people can hear me and like yeah. you know I'm like a little bit more reserved but like still very excited but when we're at home we don't care about our neighbors <laughs> I'm kidding <laughs> no we were like literally literally screaming and like jumping up and down like beside ourselves like just like frantically looking around like unsure of what to do with myself like energy running through my body it was like insane i like had to go to the bathroom but i could not get up to go because i just couldn't peel away from the tv yeah it was so much fun but i'm sure by now you all know what happened reina gagino went up in the leadoff spot got a 10 natalie Voychek followed got a 10 abby high school followed got a 10 the first of her career Naomi Morrison goes up, sticks it. I thought for a hot second there we were going to get five tens in a row if you count Gabby's on floor. Well, actually, in the arena, they flashed a ten. But I think the mix-up was that it was showing... It was showing... It was showing Abby High School's score, but it had Naomi's name on it. Okay. Well, she got a 9975, so she did get a 10 from one judge. I thought maybe that could have been the confusion. Yeah. And then Sierra Brooks goes up, and she's capable of also... She hasn't gotten a 10 yet, but I would say she's capable of it. I mean, she has a really dynamic vault, sticks it often. She's actually... When I think about Michigan's, like, hit or, like, stick consistency within that lineup, I would have Sierra and Reyna... And Abby High School, to be honest with you. Those three are the ones that stick the most. Um, Natalie and Naomi sometimes have, like, hops and Gabby as well, actually. They usually have, like, a small hop and they sometimes stick it. Yeah. But really, it's Raina, Abby High School, and Sierra Brooks. Those are the three that you can really count on them to stick if you need yeah, to. Yeah, and if there was ever an opportunity for Sierra to get a 10, this was the perfect one. But I'm sure she was feeling a lot of pressure and that was something that when I talked to Bab, she mentioned too, like, normally there's pressure after a fall because you don't want to count the fall so you kind of have this pressure on you to do a good routine so you can drop that score. Mm-hmm. But in a weird way, this was also pressure. It was a different kind of pressure because everybody was sticking and everybody was getting 10s or a 9975 and it's like so your move Sierra like what are you gonna do yeah right (laughs) and she did end up Bev said she felt bad for her because she just she just knew like that was a, a wild kind of pressure to be under and she did actually end up going and her hand slipped on the table she didn't get the block that she needed and really didn't even land the ball on her feet i mean she it was she completely botched she botched the vault yeah and then gabby wilson goes up and gets a nine nine great vault if she stuck the landing hers could have been a ten two i mean her vault is just so dynamic but the thing that's impressive about michigan is that they're so good at sticking and when they get that momentum going kind of like you said they just started a stick chain and it's not the first time we've seen them do that they've done they did it maryland last year they did it at nationals last year when they won Mm -hmm. they did it this season at minnesota i mean usually when there's a stick in the lineup somewhere towards the beginning several people follow with sticks as well yeah and that's the kind of energy that's like it's the only way i can describe it is magical yeah um there's something about even just as a fan watching this team something about them just feels so right Mm -hmm. (laughs) if that makes sense like i watch them and i can feel the energy radiating from the team even if it's through my screen on my tv there's an energy that's coming from them and it's like contagious yeah so what do you think about the validity of the scores? Yeah, so I think this is something that <laughs> it's important for us to talk about because, you know, we are 
whether it's on Twitter or on this podcast, we are really critical of scoring and we call out scores that we don't think deserve to be scored as high, you know, when there's overscoring, um, when, when routines go really low and we think they should be higher, we also call that out. So I do think it's fair to expect us to keep that same energy for Michigan. So we'll do that today. I think that was one of the best ball rotations Michigan has ever done. It went 49.875, which was a program record. Believe it or not, it's actually not an NCAA record. Yeah. It like, was the second highest. Remember what we said about gymnastics and like that, honestly, the 90s or the early 2000s, a lot of teams scored very, very high. Big scores were being thrown around like candy. And it's actually Georgia that has the record on vault. Mm-hmm. I don't have the exact score on me. It's like a, it's a 49.9 something. Yeah. it's It was a huge score. So you would think that Michigan would have broke a record there, but somehow, magically, they didn't. They were close. (laughs) They were very close. But um, yeah, so I think it was one of the best vault rotations that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. Regardless of whether it was Michigan or not, I think that was truly one of the best vault rotations ever um, that a lot of us will probably ever see in our lives, which is exciting. It sucks that it was on BTM+. Right. This is, that's the kind of shit, excuse my language, that's the kind of shit that needs to be on ESPN. I know. Don't even get me started. That's like a whole other topic. We should just not go All there right, let's today. not go there. Let's talk about the scoring. So, starting with Reyna, I probably wouldn't have gone 10 if I was the judge. Um, It was a phenomenal ball. She has really good execution in the air, is really good at finding that landing. Also, I mean, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this on the podcast before, but that's a relatively new vault for Reyna. She learned it. Well, she didn't learn it, but she really started working on it and putting it on a hard surface just last year. Mm-hmm. Like towards the middle When of she last came year. to Michigan, she did not have Yurchenko one and a half. So it was something that she worked on and brought in last season mm-hmm. and has just gotten so good with the landing and being really consistent with it. She's the perfect leadoff. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I think that... In real time, that vault looked perfect. Mm-hmm. I don't blame the judges for going 10 on that because, it, like I said, when you're, you know, when we have the luxury of going back and watching a routine over and over and over and slowing it down, which is what I did for all of those Michigan vaults, to really look at was it perfect? Like, was it actually perfect? Um, one of the first things that I noticed was Raina had a pretty deep squat. Um, I don't want to say squat because that sounds dramatic. Her landing was a little bit deeper a little stick a little soft yeah if that makes sense um then maybe i would like to see not anything (laughs) even remotely bad just something that's technical that i noticed yeah she also is not the most dynamic vault in that lineup which is why it's so hard to go 10 in that leadoff spot because, you know, you have a vault that's great, like Reyna's, super great, 995, absolutely, 995 any day of the week. And then you have Natalie Wojcik that goes up and, in my opinion, does a more dynamic vault, sticks it. You're kind of almost boxed in when you start going 10 or 9975 right off the bat. Which is why it is super rare to have such a high score in the leadoff spot. I mean, Reyna now joins this very exclusive group of only two athletes who have ever scored a 10 in the leadoff spot. The first being Grace Glenn from UCLA on beam in 2020. And Reyna is now only the second. Which I love that for her. (laughs) Yes, do love that for her. But it's super rare and that's why you totally do back yourself in or, or back yourself into a corner when you go that high in the first routine. Right, because then what ends up happening is exactly what we saw, where you have a vault that 
you could say is perfect. Um, you could also go back and point out little things and slow it down and make an argument for why it's not perfect. And I, and I would agree with you. But then you have Natalie go up. You have no choice but to give her a 10 because that was, I think, the best vault that I've ever seen her do in her entire career, at least in competition. Yeah. And then you have Abby High School who goes up and also does a phenomenal vault. I know we've talked about this before on the show because we love Abby and we love talking about how great her vault is. And we've called for 10s for her many times. She has... Go back and watch it. Any angle, slow it down, watch it a million times over. Just pick any routine of hers. And if she sticks the landing, you have to agree with me that it's perfect. You just have to. It is technically one of the most perfect vaults that I've ever seen done, ever. She gets huge block. Her execution in the air, even on the pre-flight, like going into the table, is great. Yeah, legs glued together, toes pointed. She doesn't cross her feet at all. And she's really, really good at finding the landing. So it's one of those things, like, when she sticks, you know it's going to be big. I think that this is not one of the best vaults that she's done. Yeah. And it's funny that that's the one that went 10. Right. Because she had some momentum going forward, for sure. Some people would call it a stick. I think that off of the bat, just first time watching it through, I also would have classified it as a stick. But she definitely did have some momentum going forward and very quickly turned out of it to salute. Yeah. To kind of cover up that momentum that was, you know, that she had going forward. So I probably would have gone 995 for that vault as well. Yeah. If there was any issue that I had with that 10 situation... It probably would have been Abby High School, which I hate to say that. I hate to say it so much because I love her vault. And there's been so many times where I feel like she's deserved a 10. Oh, yeah. She's Um, done, like, I would say at least three that I could think of vaults that were better than that one that didn't go 10. So then in my head, it just becomes kind of, kind of like what happened with Trinity Thomas when she got her 10 on vault and completed the gym slam. Yeah. It's like, you've seen them do so many vaults before that one where it was perfect and it could have gone a 10 and it didn't. And then, of course, they throw a 10 for one that was not perfect. Like, you could see a deduction on the landing. Yeah, like Trinity's vault that, um, I think it was against Bama when she did it, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. She, you know, you could see her heels. We talked about it on the podcast. Her heels lifted off the ground a little bit, and she did hold the stick, but it was like, like, she was You could see she was, like, fighting to hold the stick, yeah. which isn't how a 10 should look, but... She got a 10, and then this week, for example, against LSU, she goes out and does, I think, one of the best vaults I've seen her do, and they don't give her the 10, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like I thought for sure that was going to be a 10. That was a missed opportunity, especially with the way they were throwing scores around in that meet. Like, if they could have went 10 for anything, it should have been that. I agree. <laughs> I saw that, and I was like, I am okay with a 10 for that, and then they went 9.875, and I'm like, oh, Okay. And then things just got crazy after that. We'll get there. We're going to get ahead of ourselves. But yeah, it's it's situations like that where you think back on how many times that person has been perfect and they didn't get it, that you're a little bit more like justice for Abby High School or justice yeah. for Trinity Thomas. And that's totally not how it works. That's not how it should work. Yeah. But we all know that judging in college gymnastics is dysfunctional and really doesn't make a lot of sense in general. And that's kind of the beef that I have with... A lot of meets and a lot of teams. It's not one specific team. It's not one specific meet. It's 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 not even just this year. It's it's been happening for a long time. Judges just not doing their job. Yeah. Or choosing to ignore deductions, whether it's intentional or you know, I don't know if they're trying to make certain teams win. I, I don't really know the reasoning behind it or if we'd ever get a judge to admit the reason behind that. Oh, no, we totally wouldn't. <laughs> but... Because I feel like they would lose their job. They would oh, lose they their, would. They would lose all their credibility. Right. But it's... You know that's what happens. And it's frustrating because... And we get fired up sometimes about it. I know Brittany was getting fired up on Twitter about <laughs> it. And she had some people coming for her. 
No, you're being dramatic. People were not coming for me. I think I tweeted something that, in fairness, I think could, I could have worded better. Um, I basically, if you if you didn't catch it, I basically tweeted that um, after the LSU Florida meet and watching so many routines go, 9-9 nine, nine plus, you could say, but there was a couple of routines at the end with Trinity Thomas, Leanne Juan, that went 9-9-7-5, nine, nine, meaning one judge said it was perfect, when there were really in both routines two obvious deductions that really shouldn't have allowed the routines to even go over 9-9, nine, nine, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah. Um, but they were both went nine nine seven five, and it doesn't make sense. Yeah, like it does not make sense at all. And I have a lot of frustrations, which I can get to in a second. I'll, I'll table that for just one second. My tweet basically said that Florida fans are going to watch this meet and think that the scoring was accurate and defend the scoring. And I think where I was coming from with that was not. So much going after the members of the gymnastics community or the gym tonight who are Florida fans. Because I think a lot of those people, although very passionate about their team, can be realistic. And I've seen them be realistic. A lot of the people that are Florida fans that I've interacted with in the gymnastics community have been wonderful to talk to. And they're very passionate about their team and maybe defensive at times, as we all are about our favorite teams. But they are logical and they do know how to score routines and I think some people were offended that I was insinuating that Florida fans don't know anything about scoring and you know how to score routines accurately and that's not what you were trying to say it wasn't and I think it came across the wrong way to some people was um I wasn't trying to like throw shade at anybody like there was nobody in particular in my mind when I tweeted that I was more so thinking about the people that I had in my mentions the previous week when Florida was against Missouri and also received overscoring that allowed them, in my opinion, to win the meet, which is, again, like I said, I'll get to my frustration, my overall frustration in a second, but the amount of people that were defending routines that had very obvious deductions and trying to justify the score to me, and I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is mathematically impossible. Yeah, we're trying to tell you that something's not a deduction when it is. And you you can't argue it. You go look at their profile. They don't follow you. They're not gymnastics fans. They have, you know, Gator, you know, whatever. Gator Girl 79 is their name or right. whatever. Or like they'll have a Gator, like a Florida alumni or like you can tell they're in some way like a Florida fan as a whole, not so much a gymnastics fan. And that is who you were referring That's to. That's what I was referring to is because every week I can tweet something about, you know, this person, their score was too much or this whole meet for Florida, I think they should have lost or what, however, you know, whatever I end up saying, which I don't even feel like I say that much. I, I think I've tweeted two things about Florida the in the last week. The last two weeks, we've, we've said more than we normally do and it's because they're... It's been pretty egregious. Yeah, and it's it's affecting the outcome of the meet. It's not just like, hmm, that routine was overscored, but whatever. Like, it was one routine or... Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. It's it's several routines in a meet. Honestly, for both teams, whether it was Missouri or Florida or LSU or Florida, there was times where Alabama both, or Florida. That's another one. Yeah, there's times where both teams benefit from the overscoring, but it's just really frustrating when it affects the outcome of the meet. Yeah, and we're saying this as somebody who really truly likes Florida. I know that was the thing, and I I, I was saying that in my replies to some people like. I like Florida. I root for Florida. Um, If they, as long as they're not going up against Michigan, they're the team that I'm rooting for. I root for them within the SEC. And in years past at Nationals, that was the team that I was always rooting for. Um, This year, it's going to be a little bit different for, like, obvious reasons. I mean, you shouldn't be surprised by that. But, you know, 99.9% of the time, I'm rooting for Florida in whatever matchup they're in. 
So yeah. it wasn't coming from a no, place. No, we're not Bama fans. We're not LSU fans. Like, I want Florida to destroy them. <laughs> right. But I want them to do it. In a way that's fair. Yeah, I want them to do it because they're getting scores they deserve. And, you know, they are a good team. They have so many good girls on their We've team. We've hyped them up so much on this podcast. And I think that's the other thing, too. It's hard is because I get these people that, you know, respond to my tweets and they're like, you never talk about this team or whatever. And I'm like, I actually do. I, I have a podcast where on an almost weekly basis, I'm talking about what's going on in college gymnastics. And a lot of the time it's talking about the scoring. Well, and also just because we're not tweeting something or even talking about another podcast doesn't mean that we don't feel a certain way about it. I mean, mm-hmm. Brittany and I have conversations all the time about overscoring and even know, about our own team, Michigan. Just yesterday, I was talking to somebody who is one of our friends in the gymnastics community she goes to michigan meets and we were literally having a conversation about one of the gymnasts on michigan's team that we feel is consistently overscored and so it's like i may not be publicly saying it because michigan is my team i know a lot of the girls follow us and whatever but that doesn't mean that i'm not recognizing it and it doesn't mean that we can't publicly recognize it like we've always been you know, very open to saying we don't agree with something. And the only time I would say that we kind of quote unquote make a fuss out of something is when it truly seems unfair. Yeah. And, you know, it affects the outcome of the meet. Yeah. Which then in turn affects the rankings, which over time will affect regional seedings, which will affect, you know what I mean? It, it's a, a trickle down of events. It's not just yeah. a, this happened once, let's just ignore it and move on. Right. It's not a one time thing for Florida, in my opinion, this season. You're more than welcome to disagree with me but in my opinion this entire season there's two meets that come to mind against Alabama and against Missouri that I feel like those teams were better than Florida on that day and Florida still managed to come away with the win I think in regards to Florida LSU I think Florida was the better team I think Florida deserved to win that day um, there was just some questionable scoring. They got over a one nine eight, and I don't know if I look back at their performance and think that was a one nine eight performance. No, it was a like mid one nine seven performance. Yeah, and same with the Missouri Florida meet because we went back ourselves and we each scored the routine separately, and then we came together and saw you know if we were the two judges at that meet. What would our scores be? Because obviously there's two judges and you average the scores. Right. And we did so, this for both Florida and Missouri. Yeah, and. What we got was a hell of a lot different than what actually happened. It was, like, significant. <laughs> so we had Missouri coming out on top with a 197.250 to Florida's 197.025. And what actually happened is that Florida won with a 197.775 to Missouri's 197.650. So for Florida, we're talking, we found seven tenths of deductions of counted scores. That's not even dropping the lowest score. That's seven tenths in scores that were actually counted. And for Missouri, we had about a three tenth difference. Yeah. So both teams were overscored. Like that's a valid argument. And that usually is consistent. Like it's not always just Florida getting overscored. It's usually it's happening on both sides. I mean, with this Florida LSU meet, there was routines from LSU that you could argue were overscored. Yeah. Like a lot of their bar routines, in my opinion, I'm like, ooh. Like, wonky, like, lots of deductions that should be taken, but maybe right. aren't. It happens all over the place, and we've never been in denial about that. Like, we know it's not just a Florida issue. We know it's not just an SEC issue. It happens, but it, it's just, it's frustrating when it affects the outcome of the meet, and then eventually down the line could affect 
the outcome of the postseason. And then you see people online who are like defending it and doubling down in it. And you get the indication from talking to them that they aren't actually a gymnastics fan. They're just a Florida fan or they're a Utah fan well, and or they're an Oklahoma fan. And I'm like, I'm not over here trying to be like on a high horse. Like I've been watching gymnastics for this many years. And I'm, I know what I'm talking about. And I'm the best. Like it's not like coming from that place, <laughs> but I am like, I have watched gymnastics for a long time. We, you've commentated. I, well, I, I attempted to, <laughs> you, you tried I to. I attempted to commentate. I mean, it didn't go very well, but anyways, like we've, we've had to spend time really analyzing the code and understanding the sport and how scoring works and how a lot of things work. And I'm like, I watch all of the top teams and I'm critical of all of the teams, including my own team. So like, I think I know what I'm talking about when I say that this routine was two tenths higher than it should have been. And you're like, no, it just wasn't. And I'm like, but you're wrong. Like it literally was wrong. And that is my biggest. (laughs) Mathematically impossible. Yeah. And that's my biggest fear with scoring going this way in gymnastics is because if you take somebody to a gymnastics meet, or even if you're just watching it on TV at home and they don't know gymnastics, they're not a member of the gym. They're not a hardcore fan. How do you explain to them what deductions are. For example, with Florida, we'll just talk about the two Florida teams. Well, there's a couple of Florida teams because Alyssa Bauman's also in the mix. But let's just focus on Trinity Thomas and Leanne Wands. Florida from this past week with LSU. Leanne Wan opens up with a beautiful triple twist. In fact, I would like to dedicate our triple twist account to that triple twist because that's how beautiful it, it was. It definitely rivals former Gator gymnast Alex McMurtry. Yes. Up there with the best. And Courtney McCool, she also comes to mind. But anyways, yeah. middle pass, her combination pass. Wasn't a super big deal, but she technically had a little bit of movement on the feet. And I think it affected the rhythm going into her stag jump. Yeah, it wasn't like a boom, she lands and goes right into it. Like she hopped in place before going into the jump. And it was very, very minuscule. It was definitely not like a glaringly obvious issue. But it is technically I noticed an issue. it. Yeah. I noticed it too. And Alicia, the commentator, Alicia Zachary Quinn, she also recognized it, which is funny because she also like picks and chews, I think, when she acknowledges Oh, totally. She's called for tens for routines that definitely were not tens. And I, you could argue that her and Jonathan has a part of the problem with the way they hype up routines and they call for tens when it's not a ten. And it's like perpetuating this idea that like deductions don't exist. Yeah, and that certain routines should be ten when it's like no, it it shouldn't. Yeah. Um. But anyways, and then going into the last pass. She had just a little bit too much power, had trouble controlling the landing, and she lifted her front foot up and quickly placed it back down, but it was very clearly lack of control on that. Yes. So how did it go a 10 from one judge at least? Trinity Thomas, very similar. She had some lack of control on her jumps. But again, that's a kind of a minuscule deduction. Not super noticeable. I noticed it. But the biggest deduction came again on the final pass. She was just a little bit short. Her chest was down. She took a step forward and very clearly was not perfect. And it's a shame because her double layout is the best I've ever seen her do. The best I've ever seen ever, anywhere, anytime, any gymnast. Oh, I agree. I went back and watched it. She's always had a great double layout, but that one in particular, for some reason, it hit different. It did. And I noticed it live when it was happening. I was like, whoa, like that was huge. It was perfect. Yeah. 
she had a great routine going. But then, yeah, that last pass. And so, you know, if I'm watching with my mom or dad or a sibling who doesn't know anything about gymnastics or doesn't know a lot about gymnastics, because we make them know a little bit, we, we force them to know, or like a friend, how would I explain to them how scores work, how, you know, what, what, what you're looking for, what you're looking for to happen for a team to win? Or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? There's no strategy behind it because at this point, there isn't a strategy. It's literally just what are the judges going to do? I don't know. Stay tuned to find out. <laughs> like they might take the deduction and they might not. And that's where it's, it's hard. It shouldn't that be shouldn't, that way. Yeah, there should be. be a concrete set of rules that the judges follow. Well, there are a concrete set of rules. Well, apparently there's not because they're not following the rules. Yeah. And that's that. I worry about how that's going to affect the future of the sport. Because then what happens is you get people, like we had in our Twitter mentions last week, that were angry. They were angry because we, we re-scored the Missouri-Florida meet. And we were saying that Missouri should have won and they were angry about that. But the problem is, is that there's people out there that see what happened at this Florida LSU meet. And then they're going to think that's that's what a 9975 routine looks like. And, and it's, it's not. Like, I need you to understand that it's not. Like that's <laughs> not, what, what happened there is not mathematically possible. So yeah. you just witnessed something. Um, historical in the sense that it should never have happened because it's not physically possible for it to happen unless the judges are just not doing their job. But yet it still somehow managed to happen. Yeah, like... It is not shade at Florida. That's not shade at the gymnasts. Like like we said, love Florida. Love all of the gymnasts. I think all of these girls are... Or women, excuse me, sorry. I, sometimes I say girls, so that's like the vocabulary that I use in my We call life. ourselves girls. I'm a girl. Like, everyone's just a girl. But it makes it sound like you're referring to them as children or like less than in some way. And obviously, I'm not trying to do that. As another, as a fellow woman, I'm not trying to do that. It just comes out sometimes. So I, I'm correcting it. But anyways, I think they all just work so hard and are so talented. And I think that they're all so, so incredibly capable of doing big things and winning. They can get tens without the judges trying to give them tens when they don't have the best routine that they're capable of doing. Yeah. Like it's not necessary. And it's not sh- it's not shaded them. No, it's shaded the all. judges and it's frustration on my end when I have to like on a weekly basis engage with fans of certain teams that aren't necessarily gymnastics fans and they're trying to defend something that I understand myself and I pay attention to and I take seriously and they like clearly don't and I know that happens with every fan base I know that happens with every team whether it's gymnastics or not so I get that and I apologize to anybody who I offended or maybe felt like I was talking about them or like directing my um frustration in that moment at them it was more just a general thought and I was more so thinking about the people from the previous week like I said that aren't a part of the gymnastics community that were interacting with me that's more where I was coming from and how performances like this can be damaging to the sport particularly when you have people that don't know any better yeah well because another thing too we didn't mention was Naya Reed she actually got a 10 this past week Mm -hmm. and it was a great routine I think she deserved it it was awesome but then you had Trinity go up and another judge basically equated that routine from Trinity the same as Naya's yeah and it's like, how? How does that make sense? How do I explain this to somebody who is watching this for the first time? Yeah. How do ma- I justify this? It makes the sport just seem like a joke. Yeah. No other sport is like that, where it's all just opinions. 
and the outcome, it doesn't really matter what you do. The outcome is in the hands of judges who are going to do whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it feels well, like it's becoming. Yeah. And, and I understand like that's how the sport works. It is a subjective sport. It is based, essentially it is based on people's opinions. Yeah. What um, you think is perfect, what you see. But there are things that are not opinion. And there are things that are obvious deductions that everybody can see. And why some of the judges don't see the deductions I don't have the answer to, but it certainly is a problem that does seem to be getting worse over time. And it makes the sport less special when, you know, there's not not even just with tens, but just big scores in general. Like it's a special thing and it's an exciting thing. Um, but it, it means more when it's deserved mm-hmm. and not when the judges are just being reckless and throwing up big scores. Well, I feel bad because I think sometimes even for the gymnasts who are on social media, particularly Twitter, who, you know, go on after a meet and probably just dread seeing the comments that they get. Yeah. For example, someone that comes to mind was several weeks ago. Actually, I think it was the beginning of the season when Alex Stern got a 10. And a lot of people, including us, tweeted something about how, like, that ball wasn't perfect. And especially the angle that they posted, like, really didn't do the ball justice. Like, it wasn't even, like, one of those balls that, you know, you could, from the side or from a certain angle, pass it off as being a 10. Like, it it was very clearly not a 10. Yeah. And we said something about it as well. And I just kind of felt bad because it's like, it felt like she finally got that 10 that she worked so hard for. And she's done many great balls. And it's like that moment was probably tainted in some way by all this, you know, overwhelming commentary from people online saying, you don't deserve that, basically. I wish the judges wouldn't put them in that position by giving them tens, because then the judges are basically subjecting the gymnast to criticism from the gymnastics world. Yeah. And, and we're not wrong for having that criticism. As fans, we should be talking about scores. No, we should be demanding consistency for all to the athletes and the people involved with the team. It probably is hard to not take it personally, yeah, or to feel like you're being attacked, or to feel like you know you didn't do anything wrong. And why are people you know talking about you and yeah, like, I, you didn't, I get you didn't it. ask for this to happen. Right, <laughs> all you did was just went out there and did your gymnastics, and you can't control the judges and what they do. So we want to make that clear. It never has been about the athletes. It's always just about the judges not doing their job. Mm-hmm. And our frustration will always lie within the judges. And, you know, I wish there was something that could be done about this. Some sort of accountability for the judges. And it, like we said before, it happens at every school. We, in the past two weeks, have talked a lot about Florida, and that was something else that people were, like, saying to me. It's like, why, what's up with you in, like, Florida? Like, why do you seem like you hate Florida? Or why you have all this criticism and we, and we like Florida. And I'm like, I swear, I like Florida. Like, listen to my podcast. I literally am always talking about Florida and, and in the preseason, like, hyping them up, and their freshman class is so amazing, and, you know, have we so like, many things to say. We like Florida. We just think that some of the judges that they hire deserve to be in jail. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, jail, like literally, pretty much. And there's overscoring for Utah. Even just this past weekend, routines going out of bounds and still getting a 9-9. Again, mathematically impossible. Oklahoma, it happens a lot. UCLA, not so much this season, but in years past, like UCLA was also a part of that club. LSU, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan at times. Like it's some schools, it happens, I would say more than others. Like Florida, Oklahoma, this season are the two I think it's the most egregious for. Like, it's pretty pretty bad at times. It's pretty uh, jail time for the judges. Yes. Um, and then you have teams that occasionally will get overscored or, you know, certain athletes, depending on who they are, they get overscored. 
But it is a problem that's NCAA-wide, and it's not specific to one conference or one athlete or one team. So this is Brittany again by myself because Ashley is actually at work right now, but I'm working on this episode trying to get it up tonight, and I wanted to give a shout out to two programs who had phenomenal weekends, broke program records, and I feel like we just have to give them a shout out in this week's episode because they absolutely deserve it. So the first one being LIU, they broke a program record with a 19505 they got a program record on floor, which is a 49.175, thanks in big part to Amanda Lou's 9925 on floor, which from watching the routine, I think you could argue was a debatable score. Like it was, that was definitely a choice for sure. But I'm happy for her nonetheless because LIU, like we mentioned, has been a program really on the rise this season. It's only their second year as a program. And they're doing so many incredible things and seem to be so much better than they were last season. We also had Cal Bixler got a program record on beam, which is a 9875, which helped to tie the team record on that event, 48.8. So big things happening over at LIU and continuing to expect big things in the future for them. We love to see it, of course. And another thing that we really love to see is all that MSU is accomplishing this season. They set three program records on Sunday, a 197-425 team score, a 49-5 on beam, a 49-575 on floor. Like, what? That is so, so huge. I am so ecstatic for this team. It was so beautiful to see after the meet their reactions how emotional they were how excited they were this team has been working so so hard and I really feel like every time they go out they are just getting better and better and if you know we've been saying this I feel like all season but if you haven't been listening or you haven't been taking us seriously you need to listen up because MSU is a team that you cannot count out this season. In the Big Ten Conference, of course, but even nationally, I would say, they're currently ranked 14th as a team, which is huge for them. That is not a position that they're used to being in. And that's at the midpoint in season. So it's not like it was just the beginning of season and they had a really good meet and they started out strong. They've really continued to not only maintain that, but really get better with each passing week. So I know we've talked about them a few times on the show. We're going to continue talking about them. I don't think this is going to be the end for, you know, the All Things Gymnastics podcast talking about MSU because we are just so ecstatic about everything that's been happening with that program this season in particular. And I wish Ashley was here to rave about it with me right now because right now I'm just like all by myself and I'm not used to recording podcasts by myself. So it's kind of boring. I really need someone to like get hype with me about MSU, but... Just wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to them. They are superior in the choreography department. They're superior in the leotard department. They are getting better and stronger with each passing week and definitely one that you're going to want to keep your eyes on for the rest of the season because they're going to do really, really big things, I have a feeling. We also went to Michigan's We also, we also went to Michigan's meet against Penn State on Sunday, which, again, we mentioned in the beginning, we recorded this episode on Sunday, so Michigan's meet hadn't happened yet. 
It definitely was their weakest performance of the whole season. They got a 1976, which isn't a bad score, but definitely not what this team is capable of. Definitely not what I think they were expecting to happen or wanting to happen. Pretty optimistic they'll be able to turn it around. I think, you know, we've talked in the last couple of weeks about all of the top teams and how really at the midway point of the season, you you do usually see a low like this where a team, you know, you can only be up for so long. Eventually you're going to come down. And I don't mean that like necessarily ranking wise or anything like that, but more so just in terms of like performance quality. I think it's hard to perform, you know, top notch routines week after week when you're going, you know, high 197s, 198s even um, week after week. There's just, there's no way to maintain that. You're going to have to come down at some point from it and then eventually build back up. So I think that's kind of the point that Michigan's at right now. Um, Definitely think that there was some scores that were probably high in terms of scoring and also some that felt a little bit low on my end. I was wondering if you guys would like to have an episode where me and Ashley go back and rescore a Michigan meet. I kind of feel like that'd be fun and it would be like tea, you know, just because we're really big Michigan fans and we're always gassing them up. And I think people would like to see me and Ashley actually kind of watch a meet again. Well, obviously the podcast wouldn't be us watching it, but we would go back. Um, It could either be the Penn State meet that just happened this weekend or it could be any meet. We had someone ask us to do the um, try meet that we talked about, the Alaska Rockers, Michigan, with that monstrous 1985 score. Um, The problem with that meet is there was a lot of routines that weren't shown or like the full routine wasn't shown because it was a try me and BTM plus sucks and they can't manage how to, you know, show three teams at one time. They don't know how to do that apparently. So we, there was bits and pieces of routines that we didn't see at least in its entirety. So, um, it could really be any meet though. Like I said, it could be the Penn state one. It could be any meet from the season. And we think it'd be fun to go back and have, you know, us, score the routines ourselves and see what kind of scores we come up with and compare that to how they actually scored. Um, so let us know. Is that something that you guys would like to have us do? We could either do that for our next episode or that's something that we could maybe do when college gymnastics season's over and we have like some downtime, but I think that'd be kind of fun. So let us know if that's something that you want us to do or if there's another team that you want us to do. Because we, you know, like we talked about in this episode, we did it with Missouri and Florida meet, but we could do it with any team, any meet. So just let us know. That does it for this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. We're not really sure if we're going to have a new episode next week. We may, we may not. It's really hard to tell with me and Ashley's schedules and just how busy we've been lately. But if we do do one, it'll probably end up being either us going back and rescoring meets from this season or it'll be just kind of a prediction for postseason at the midway point of the regular season. So you can hopefully expect one of those two episodes next week. But until then, we hope you have a phenomenal week and we hope that you are staying safe out there. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.